0: Jesus is still speaking about that as we turn to the 14th verse this morning. And we read verses 14 through 27, although this section also bridges over. It goes from talking about and the signs that will accompany the destruction of the temple to the signs that will come before Christ returns. We're picking it up at verse 14, Mark chapter 13. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the of heaven, Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let's again then turn into our hymn book, 387, 387, a hymn that describes those latter days and a reminder to us that we have to uh, know for certainty where it is we are going, but also the beautiful assurance to those who have confessed Christ. 387, we'll sing the four verses. Let's stand.
1: Day of judgment, day of wonders, hark the trumpet's awful sound. Louder than a thousand thunders shakes the vast creation round. How the summons will the sinner's heart confound. See the judge our nature wearing, clothed in majesty divine. You who long for his appearing, then shall say, this God is mine. Gracious Savior, own me in that day as thine. At his call the dead awaken, rise to life from earth and sea. All the powers of nature shaken, by his looks prepare to flee. Careless sinner, what will then become of But to those who have confessed, loved, and served the Lord below, He will say, Come near, ye blessed, see the kingdom I bestow. You forever shall my love and glory know. You may be seated.
0: So as we turn back to Mark chapter 13, that 14th verse, Jesus, first of all, uses a term that we probably need to define and set in its context. The term that Jesus uses here is that phrase, the abomination of desolation. Or for some of you, if you have a different version, it might be the desolating sacrilege is the way it is phrased. What exactly does that mean? How would we define that? The answer would be we'd say something like this, that it is a desecration that is so detestable that it causes God's people to abandon. Jesus is saying before that temple is destroyed, In 70 A.D. as we learned last week. Something is going to happen in this temple. That will be so detestable. That God's people will want nothing to do with it anymore. They will flee it. The abomination causes the desolation. That which takes place in the temple will cause God's people to abandon, to leave. Now we know this is taking place in this time period because if we went to the Gospel according to Luke where this section of Mark is recorded by Luke as well, in Luke chapter 21 verse 20, Jesus there specifically puts this in the context of Jerusalem and of armies surrounding Jerusalem, which is exactly the situation of 70 A.D. So once again, before 70 A.D., this is going to occur. Let me remind you of a statement I, I made last Lord's Day. I believe everything that we need to know, everything that God tells us about the end of the world is found here in Mark chapter 13. Notice Jesus' word in 23. Be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Nothing that's going to come into the New Testament is an addition to what Jesus is telling us. It is an explanation of what Jesus is telling us. Indeed, the entire book of Revelation is a discussion of what Jesus is telling us here. It's not new. It's not an addition to. It's not an add-on. It is inclusive. This is where many often go in error because they fail to take seriously Christ's words to his disciples here in the Luke passage, in the Matthew passage, which are all basically the same. There's very little descriptive difference that Jesus gives. He's telling us this is what's going to happen. So before the temple is destroyed, because that's the question Jesus is answering, because the disciples came to him and said, when's this going to happen? And Jesus said, well, before it happens, here are the things that will take place. Jesus is still talking about that. He's still describing that. So this act of desecration, this act of sacrilege, This act, maybe we'd want to use, of blasphemy that will take place, is going to take place in the temple sometime before 70 A.D. Thereby, the prophetic word of Christ will indeed be fulfilled. So that's the term. That's that's what we're dealing with. But let's dig a little bit deeper into this. Let's let's look at, secondly, this prophecy. Because this is not the first time this term or similar has been used. So if you have your Bible open, go back with me to the book of Daniel. Dr. DeYoung's ears are now perking up. See, Dr. DeYoung has written a study guide about all of this. So... uh, if you want some further info, buy a study guide. Daniel chapter nine. We're going to pick it up at verse twenty four. Daniel nine, twenty four. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring into everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, then For sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for a half of the week. And he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So you see the same terms, that abomination, you see the desolation being prophesied Daniel is saying there's coming a time and it's and it specifically if you note the holy city it's about Jerusalem and there is going to become one who will indeed bring about an abomination that causes a desolation Daniel repeats this turn ahead to Daniel chapter 11 Verse 29. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before, for ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate now daniel is receiving this vision while the people of israel the people of judah are in captivity in babylon in the old testament time And he's prophesying that there's coming a time in which there shall be an abomination of desolation. The burnt offering shall stop and a number of other things. And he's talking about all that's going to occur in the time period between Malachi and the coming of Jesus Christ. And we know, historically, this happened. There's a guy by the name of Antichius Epiphanes who comes into Jerusalem. He stops the regular burnt offerings. He forces the Jews to offer on the altar of burnt offering a pig, an unclean animal to the Jews. To the Jews, that's blasphemy. To the Jews, that's abomination. To the Jews, this, this is a desecration. So, somebody comes, stops the burnt offering, sacrifices a pig, sets up an image of Zeus, which we are told looked an awful lot like Antichius Epiphanes, in the temple. Notice the reference to he in the Mark passage. What Jesus said. The people aren't going, what do you mean, abomination of desolation? What are you talking about? They know exactly what Jesus means. Because it happened before. It happened under Antichius Epiphanies. They know it. It's recorded history for them. So when Jesus says, before the temple is destroyed, there's going to be an abomination of desolation, the people aren't mystified. They know what's coming. They know in some way the temple is going to be desecrated. Because it's already been prophesied by Daniel and then come true. But now we go back to Mark. We go back to Mark chapter 13. But here's Jesus. He's not talking past. He's not saying, oh yeah, the abomination of desolation, that happened. He's not referencing that which has already happened. He's saying it's going to happen again. That which took place before is going to happen again. Did it? The answer is yes. Did it happen before 70 A.D.? Yes. It almost happened in forty A.D. The Emperor Caligia came into to Jerusalem, uh, wanted to set up a statue of himself in the temple, but there was such a Jewish resistance that the effort didn't go anywhere. But you say, so it didn't happen? No, it did. It happened from amongst their own people. Now, remember this date of 70 AD, there is a war going on. Rome is coming in to squash a rebellion of the Jews. That's why it gets destroyed. The Jewish people have a political revolt in about 67, 68 AD under not a religious revolt, a political revolt. The Zealots. Remember them? They're they're around in Jesus' time. They're always the guys from a political standpoint who are trying to get rid of Rome. They want independence. Not because of some prophecy. Not because of God's word. Uh, It's just a political movement. They're pretty successful in 67 and 68. So successful... That they're able to come in, drive Rome out of Jerusalem, and to restart the priesthood. But they pick a guy who doesn't meet the qualifications of the priesthood, a descendant of Aaron. They pick a guy who the Jewish historian Josephus basically says is a clown. He has no clue. So the zealots pick one of their own, a political guy. He comes in. He's declared the high priest, and they begin the sacrifices, and it is an abomination. It is a sacrilege. And the faithful, we are told, have nothing to do with this. They leave. We are not going to go to the temple because of the sacrilege that is taking place. Read Jesus' words. But when you see, verse 14, the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. Where does the emphasis in that fall? The emphasis falls on the he who is not qualified to stand where he is. And then Jesus adds these words. Let the reader understand. In other words, read carefully. Understand Daniel. Somebody's image was where it should not be and that Profaned the temple. In 68 AD, somebody stood as the priest who should not have stood there. It's an abomination. Let the reader understand. When you see that, what should you do? Well, notice that Jesus then sounds a warning. You have to be on your guard. You have to be ready. You have to be prepared. You have to flee. There is is not a moment to spare. When we read of the battle of Jerusalem, it's interesting, but what is happening is that the Christians fled Jerusalem. Why? <laughs> because the reader understood. They read this. They understood it. They knew exactly what this meant. It was time to leave. Listen to what Jesus says. Flee, flee, flee. And they fled. Do you know what the Jewish people did? They ran to Jerusalem. The Christians are running from The Jews are running too. And the slaughter that occurred, Jesus testifies by saying, there has never been nor will there ever be a slaughter like took place. The horror of that fall of Jerusalem. We are told that Rome cut off food, People starved. Once somebody starved, they threw them over the wall. And the thieves gathered around the bodies, stripped them bare, laughing like jackals. No wonder Jesus is saying, hey, when you see this, you better leave Jerusalem. And that's exactly what God's people did. They heard the prophetic word of Jesus, they heard the warning. And they left. Be on your guard. Perceive. Understand. Analyze. Think. Make your mind work. Look at what's happening, not just with your physical eyes, but with your spiritual soul. But in the midst of this prophecy, Jesus offers a beautiful comfort, doesn't he? Look at verse 20. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Even here we see the mercy of God. Even here we see the grace of God. Even in the midst of this carnage, as Jerusalem is being destroyed, as the temple is coming down, here we see God's mercy. Why? Because there were still those Jewish people who are spared death. Some of whom, we're going to come to know Christ. Some of whom were going to hear the gospel. Some of those in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of all of this turmoil, in the midst of all of this loss, are going to cry out, Lord, Lord, who will save? And the Lord, in his mercy and grace, sends forth his spirit into heart and life. There are those. come to faith in Christ. And we see that today. In the midst of some of the greatest tragedies. God's word goes forth. The Spirit bears witness. And people come to Christ. Whether it's a tsunami, whether it's a tornado, whether it's an earthquake, whether it's a famine, people come to Christ in the midst of war, in the midst of some of the most horrific of destructions. Probably those in this room who have served in a conflict might even have a story or two to tell. Someone who under fire, someone who in a a time in a foxhole with bullets flying, with bombs bursting, with flames shooting over the top of that foxhole. Crouches. And God's Spirit converts a heart. What a comfort that God shortened the days. Because there were those who needed to come to know Christ. What a beautiful reminder of the sovereignty of God. That waves that could have easily swept over. That a Roman soldier's sword that could have easily have pierced. God in his sovereignty redirects. Because that life is not to be taken until that person knows Christ. The Lord knows who are His. This is Jesus' word of comfort. Fulfilled. Fulfilled. Took place. It happened. How do you judge whether or not a prophet is a true prophet? Because he makes a prophecy way in the future that nobody can ever determine whether or not it's true or not? No, the point of this passage is Jesus is offering a prophecy and they will see its truth. In Matthew, Jesus even says this generation will not pass away until these things occur. Well, that's true. They were going to live to 70 A.D. They were going to see that which took place. It was going to happen. And the fact that it did happen reminds us again that Jesus, as prophet, speaks the truth. He speaks the truth. See, Jesus isn't isn't here in this passage just talking about the future. We'd have no way to to weigh that then. If this were all futuristic, we'd have no way to know whether or not the prophecy of Christ is true. But we know it's true. Why? Because it was already fulfilled. But you see, prophecy is is an interesting thing. Because prophecy has a now... And a not yet aspect to it. Let let me give you this illustration. Take your Bible. Go back to to give you an example of this. Go back to Isaiah chapter 7. Okay, So this is kind of a sidebar. Just to, to give you an example of how prophecy works and functions. It has a now aspect to it. But it also has a not yet. And you, can, you know the reliability of the not yet because the now happens. So Jesus has spoken prophecy. The now has occurred, which means then we can trust the not yet. Because he's already been validified as a prophet. It's already occurred. So, In Isaiah chapter 7, let me give you this example. Verse 10. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. Now Ahaz is a hard-hearted pagan. He wants nothing to do with the Lord. The Lord said, I'm going to give you a sign to prove the truth of the word of the prophet." Ahaz says, I don't want to know. I don't want any proof. Because I don't want to believe. I don't want to accept what's going on. Ahaz says, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary man that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land of the two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Now, the question is, Is Isaiah prophesying an event that Ahaz will see? Well, yes, the the verses tell us that. It's a sign to Ahaz. Some girl who is presently a virgin will give birth, and she will call that child that she gives birth to Emmanuel. That will be a sign to you, Ahaz. Now, if that text only applies to the birth of Jesus, it is of no value to Ahaz because he's going to be dead hundreds of years. The Lord is coming into the face of Ahaz, grabbing him by the collar and saying, I'm going to give you a sign. You look, you watch. A young woman who is now a virgin is going to conceive and give birth, and she'll call his name Emmanuel. when you see that, Ahaz, know what's coming. Did it occur? Yes, of course it occurred. It happened. You say, well, but isn't that about Jesus? Yes, but that's the now and the not yet. Because when you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, the angel tells Joseph, This is to fulfill. When Joseph says, How can Mary have a child? She's a virgin. How's that going to be? And I got to call his name Emmanuel. The angel says, verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now here, it's an immaculate in in the sense of truly a virgin birth. A virgin conceives and gives birth to a son. In Isaiah 7, the prophecy is that a virgin, a young girl, will get pregnant, give birth to a child called Emmanuel, and that's a sign to you. So it has a now and a not yet. Say, why why the little trail? Because that's what's going on in Mark chapter 13. Jesus is saying there is a now, but there is also a not yet aspect to this. The abomination that causes desolation will indeed occur before the temple is destroyed. Not Antichius Epiphanes' abomination, another one. And when that occurs, take warning, leave. It occurs under these zealots. It's fulfilled. People leave. People desert. Romans come in. Killed by the hundreds of thousands, the Jewish people. Destroy the temple. But you see, there is a not yet as well. There is a not yet. Look at Mark chapter 13 again. Verse 24, but in those days, after that tribulation. See, now Jesus is transitioning. Jesus is now saying, well, so does the fall of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem bring about the end of the world? Folks, hear me clearly. No. No, and no matter how many televangelists tell you it's got to happen again, it is not true. Don't send them money to rebuild the temple. It's a foolish waste of your money. Send it to a missionary who proclaims the gospel. not going to happen again Jesus said the temple will be destroyed it's not going to be rebuilt that's it it's done but after that after those days after that fall of Jerusalem after the temple more will occur more will happen but in those days after that tribulation the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light the stars will be falling from heaven The powers in heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power. See, there is more yet to come. I've told you everything beforehand, Jesus said. There is more yet to come. There is the already, but there is also the not yet. Paul in 2 Thessalonians, describes for us the man of lawlessness. A man of lawlessness. Notice Jesus' words again. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, Paul, in that passage, describing the man of lawlessness, is describing the abomination that causes desolation that is the not yet. When John in 1 John describes the Antichrist, he is describing the not yet of the abomination of desolation. When John in Revelation describes the second beast, he is describing the abomination of desolation that is the not yet. See, this isn't new stuff. This is what Jesus has already told us. Before I come. See, they ask, when will these things, when will all these things be? Well, before the destruction of the temple, this is what's going to happen. But you want to know all things? Okay, I'll tell you. Before I come, this is what's going to occur. But how do we approach that? Do we approach all of that with fear? No, we listen to the word of Jesus. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. What did the Christians do when they began to see Jesus' words coming true? They fled Jerusalem. Why? Because they knew what was coming. Too many Christians today are so inculturated by society. They wouldn't know the man of lawlessness if he was standing before their face. Why? Because they're not on their guard. They're not perceiving. They're not understanding. They're not looking at the world. The reformers in their day and age rightly said it was the Pope. And it was of their day and age. There was somebody standing in a place where he should not be. It was sacrilege. It's an abomination. We have to have eyes that can perceive the truth. Spiritual eyes. They're not full of all sorts of mysteries and charts. We just take the word of the Lord and we watch, we see, we come to an understanding of where society is. But as I said, so many Christians today are just going with society. They just follow along rather than fleeing Jerusalem. Rather than seeing what is happening and saying, I want no part of that. Be on your guard. But the same words of comfort that Jesus was giving to the disciples About that fall of the temple comes to you and I as well. God knows who are His. And for the sake of you and I, and those believers who are still yet to come, God will shorten those days. God knows who are His. He knows who belongs to him. But what is the impact of 24 through 27? What is Jesus really telling them? I'm coming again. I am coming again. And was that to discourage them? Was that to cause fear? It was to cause rejoicing. He's coming again. Praise God! He's coming again. So next week we come to this table and one of the things we do at this table, we proclaim Christ's sacrifice for us, we proclaim Christ's atonement, we proclaim God's grace, but we also take that cup and remember, I will not drink this again until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom. And we say, ah, yes, I drink. I drink. Because he is coming again. Next Lord's Day, the Lord willing, will expand on that. And look at that beautiful, glorious promise. Do not be misled. Be on guard. But also know the comfort of the Lord who knows. His people. And all God's people say,